This is the Sport Lifestyle Podcast, where the trade of sport collides with fashion and innovation. Your hosts, Mike Gugat, Neil Schwartz, and John Peters, break down news, discuss trends, and interview industry influencers. The Sport Lifestyle Podcast is on now. This is episode 17 of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gugat. Hey, Poobah, who are you going to root for this year, the Dolphins or the Eagles? Oh, boy, that's a problem, Mike. Uh, as we were talking about earlier, um, you know, there's uh, some mitigating circumstances. I am a big Dolphin fan, uh, but I might have to put that on hold for a bit and uh, go back to my uh, heritage, which is as an Eagles fan. So, uh Got some weird circumstances Ooh. going on this year. You Steve. can uh, you and Stephen Ross can go to Soul Cycle together, Neil. Thank you. That's exactly what I was referring to. <laughs> I, 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 I knew Neil didn't want to talk about this, so I figured if I would at least tee it up that way, you might have to. Well, you baited me pretty well, Mike. So I mean, I had to uh, kind of take the bait a little bit. Yes, I am. Um, I am disturbed like a lot of people are. Um, there's a lot of Dolphin fans that have also expressed uh, displeasure um, over the situation. Kenny Stills, the wide receiver um, for the Miami Dolphins, has also been tweeting um, an awful lot of, uh, you know, let's just say negative or, or opposing points of view on this. Well, and like most Philadelphians, you can turn on your neighbor as quickly as you were friends. So you, you can root for the Eagles when they win and, and hate them when they lose. Dude, Philadelphia booed Santa Claus. So I don't, you know, there, there's no limit to, you know, what Philadelphia fans will do if they are unhappy. Yeah. Hey, JP, we have a pretty amazing guest uh, on this episode. Why don't you tell the listeners about the guest and then I'll set up our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys are in for a real treat. If you want to hit fast forward on us three knuckleheads, I totally get it. Uh, we, we interviewed Bob Reef, who's the managing director slash founder um, of SDSI, San Diego uh, Sport Innovator, which is, Innovators, which is a, an accelerator uh, cohort hub out of San Diego that uh, really is in the sport and active lifestyle industries. Uh, some really awesome stories, including, uh, you know, Tiger and how he signed Tiger Woods with, when he was with Nike, uh, all the way to some Bill Walton uh, jokes sprinkled in. So I would encourage you to uh, stick around and listen. Great interview. One of our best. Well, on this podcast is uh, corporate bankruptcy, the new housing crisis. A lot of the lost jobs suggest it might be. Um, Neil's going to update listeners on the, the K-pop band uh, BTS, or, or maybe he's going to talk <laughs> about back to school. But you know, the, you know, we know Neil and his acronyms, and and then can uh, can boycotting you know things like SoulCycle and Equinox uh, actually uh, get some of the plutocrats to listen? So we'll uh, we'll, we'll delve into politics. We won't shy away from anything. Um, so, guys, I'll go first. The story I sent around from Market Watch came out um, earlier this week, talking about you know the Great Recession and how uh, the, the bankruptcy-related job losses are at an all-time high. So, uh, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts, and I'll, I'll spit out some stats from the story. But in the first seven months of uh, this year, there have already been almost forty-three thousand job cuts uh, due to bankruptcy uh, at retail or corporate America, I guess, in general. Uh, that's 40% higher than last year during the same period, and it's the highest seventh-month total since 2009's when there were 50,000 due to bankruptcy. So um, interestingly enough, it goes on to talk about you know 
how retail store closures have been leading the charge in terms of bankruptcies. Uh, Barney's just you know closing their doors as well. And the the other stat that I'll throw out here is the number of retail store closures in the first seven months of this year has already exceeded the entire uh, entirety of last year. So. What do we make of this, guys? Neil, do you want to you want to take a crack? Well, I actually read an interesting article yesterday from Chris Isidore. Um, he's the uh, kind of the business reporter at um, CNN Money, and uh, you know, Chris had an interesting take. I, I'm not sure that you can really talk about Barney's necessarily and use them as an example. I mean, they, in my opinion, and in and in Chris's opinion, you know, they were really worse off than let's say traditional department stores because they were just a dinosaur in so many ways, and. Um, you know, so I think the inevitable situation occurred for Barney's, you know, but, you know, is this going to lead us into some more, uh, you know, major closures? I mean, you know, how does, uh, you know, Macy's, you know, long term, I mean, if you take away the fact that they own the most valuable piece of real estate, maybe in the United States, if not the world, um, you know, how's their business really doing and how long can they sustain, you know, the current situation? So, you know, retail continues to uh, fight a uh, tough battle right now. No question about it. Man, I feel like I get to play the JP role in this podcast and and be the contrarian to uh, to the old man yeah. on this one. Yeah. But, uh, the the most valuable piece of of real estate as it relates to retail is Instagram. Mm. If we're honest, yeah, but that's not really real estate so much as, as it is. Uh, See now you're going to get nitpicky. Yeah, you did. You did. Yeah. You didn't. You got lumped on the head, yeah, and you yeah, didn't. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 You, you can't. You can't argue with. I'm talking about though, right? No, I do. And, and but here's. But I think the other part of this is is that you know just as we saw what happened with Sears, you know, at one extreme, right. the next generation isn't shopping right. there, and they're also not interested in the luxury labels that Barney right. sold. And then I think if you look at the other, you know, uh, uh, corporate debt, we talked about this on a previous podcast, but it isn't getting a whole lot of news. And I am certainly not an economist, but the Fed cut its rate saying that it was looking out for a lot of these people in these service jobs. If these people are out of work, that tends to be the person that actually is, you know, fueling the economy by buying those traditional, you know, consumer products. So my concern is, is that, you know, this is, it's, it's easy for, you know, some of these organizations to get out of their problems using bankruptcy as the tool, but the bigger impact to the economy is what is, is really frightening. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, Mike, and, and I'll make two quick points here. I, I think last year, um, maybe it wasn't an all time high, but it was very high. The, the number of corporate buybacks, just ironically, you know, buying back your own stock, but you know, this bankruptcy numbers at an all time high that, that that's strange to me. But, but the second point I'd, I'd make is, um, this is a whole different story, but Axios, I believe it was popped up and, you know, said that, uh, the, uh, average worker at retail today is making, uh, more hourly salary than they ever have since 2002, Something I believe like it was. So, yeah, it, it, it was really remarkable, and it's almost the exact opposite. But you know, when Amazon slaps fifteen, twenty dollars an hour, everyone follows suit. So I think that that, that has a lot to do with that. But um, why don't we move to to Neil's favorite K-pop band, Mike, the Korean, Korean pop stars? How, how are they performing, Neil, for the back to school uh, audience? <laughs> yeah, I think we're talking about uh, back to school shopping, and not um, what is K-pop, by the way. Well, man, just proved it. 
<laughs> just Google BTS into YouTube. It, it's it's some of the best music you'll ever hear in your life. Neil. I mean, to me, BTS is still back to school. But uh, you know, just to kind of get a, a quick up, update. Um, God, so much has, has gone on since the start of the back to school season. Um, you know, it seems like it starts earlier and earlier this year, probably got off to a start around July 15th, um, especially as in a lot of places where kids go to school a lot earlier, but really so much has happened, um, in the last few weeks. Uh, unfortunately right now, you know, we're still in the wake, um, uh, of what went on at the uh, Walmart in El Paso, Texas, um, right in the middle of back to school shopping. But, um, a number of the retail experts, um, including my friends at uh, Prosper Inc., um, who do the retail projections for the National Retail Foundation, as well as Deloitte and Touche, one of the big uh, counting, uh, you know, uh, consulting firms, you know, they're looking at about a three and a half percent increase year over year in back to school shopping. Um, you know, we're seeing more and more consumers gravitate towards value chains. In fact, this year, um, over fifty percent of shoppers. Um, have said that they will be shopping in value chains. And, and I think this really um, kind of works together with, you know, one of the retailers that went out of business, and that is Payless. Um, you know, 1,100 Payless stores, uh, value-oriented footwear chain, no longer in business. Those shoppers have to go somewhere. And um, all of a sudden, those shoppers are not going to be, you know, full-price footwear shoppers. So, you know, it's been an interesting to, to kind of look and see where that business is going. Many have projected that a lot of the business will go to Walmart. Some will go to Target. Um, they've also said some might go to even, you know, Foot Locker or some of the other uh, footwear chains. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, a couple of things that also make it interesting is that brick and mortar shopping this year um, will probably be as as constant as it was last year at about 56%. But online shopping will increase about 600 basis points. It'll go from 23 to 29%. So again, can, it, right now, things are just really all jumbled up. And uh, I think hopefully, as we get through Labor Day, um, you know, we'll be able to have a little bit more of a picture about what's going on in this year's back to school shopping. Hey, Mike, um, I, I think this would be awesome now to learn. Obviously, you're not back to school shopping yet as a new father, but um, if you had your druthers, would you just buy everything off Amazon when it's time for back to school shopping, or would you be going to, to make the rounds at brick and mortar? I was hoping to leverage this podcast and be able to shill for brands <laughs> by just telling people, you know, here's holding size, here's his, here's his, here's his Instagram handle. Wait, this is how Mike's cute he looks. Put up a sign. Know, here's his million Mike's followers. Put up a sign outside of the offices. Will work for shoes. I, I will. I will. I, I have a lot of people in my family that are very, you know, upset that I no longer work for footwear brands. <laughs> is, uh, you know, now their Christmas gifts or thoughtful cards that, you know, don't feel as good as being able to lace up a, a pair of shoes. Um, anyway, JP, I want to I wanted to come back to you on the back to school front because I think, uh, you know, it's you know, there, there's there's something to be said where consumers are going these days. And uh, I, I would love your take on this. Yeah, no, guys, I think um, it's interesting, Neil, you didn't mention everyone's big capital A word, Amazon. I, I, I would imagine that they're going to, you know, have some plans to, to attack this, uh, this, this market. And, um, you know, they're obviously their prime day just happened, which it's kind of become a prime month, which is interesting because it's bleeding over into back to school. So I'd, I'd be, I don't know the numbers at the top of my head, but I know they, 
gangbusters was what I was reading. Um, you know, I think the other interesting thing, Neil, that one thing you didn't mention, I'd be curious if, if these families are starting to go to, to, to the outlets. And if you mean, does that include when you say value chain, is that outlets or is that separate? No, when I'm talking value chains, I'm more looking at, you know, whether it would be, um, let's say TJ Maxx or, uh, you know, Marshall's, um, raw right. stores, but also, you know, Kohl's, um, in a lot of, in a sense, in fact, I think this deal with Amazon that they did now that they've expanded, um, the Amazon returns, um, you know, I have kind of a quick anecdotal story. My wife had some things to return on Amazon. Uh, we don't have time for your, your, she went in, your, we do not have time for your quick went anecdotal story. Returned something in Amazon, spent $30 in Kohl's. I mean, you know, how much better can it work? You know, how much better could they make that work? So, but I, I do think that you're going to see more and more consumers pushing into um, value chains. Also, footwear chains like Shoe Carnival, Famous Footwear, DSW, Rack Room, places like that. Man, I got to take the mic back. So here's my last question to you guys before we get to our great interview with uh, Bob Reef. Is Stephen Ross's fundraiser an opportunity for Peloton? Really? Oh, that's it's so interesting you say that, Mike. And I know we only have a couple minutes, but what people uh, well, it's so funny because most people don't realize related companies uh, who invested in who, who Stephen Ross's you know finance arm related also invested in, in Peloton. And you know it was so funny listening to Christy Teigen and everybody talk about uh, don't go to Equinox and don't go to SoulCycle while they probably have their Peloton in their living room, have no idea what they're revolting. It, it, it was a little ironic to me to, to watch that. But um, what, what's interesting, more interesting to me, Mike, is Equinox yesterday, I don't know if you guys saw the story, but they announced um, their quote-unquote Peloton competitor. Um, and the, the, the investment space being very incestual uh, has a lot of the same investors behind it. So um, I'm not really sure. It's all jumbled up to me. I, I, I just think that you know the broader point that we've talked about with REI and leadership and dicks and guns, et cetera. Um, you know, c- consumers want to see people uh, make a stand, whether you're on the left side, right side, middle side, I, I don't know, but um, it- it's interesting that there was a lot of backlash going around the newsfeed anyway. Welcome back to the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. This is John Peters, and today uh, we're talking to Bob Reef, who is the uh, founding director of uh, SDSI, uh, the San Diego Sport Innovators uh, Incubator out of out of California. Bob, welcome. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for uh, hopping on here. Um, Bob, it's been a long time coming. I, I've been watching your news and, and the SDSI's news through Rennie, our, our mutual friend. Uh, can you can you tell us a little bit about um, maybe uh, before we get into SDSI, your background and uh, you know it's it's pretty colorful. You have a lot of different uh, experiences. We'd love to to hear about them. <laughs> colorful is probably the nicest description I ever heard. Um, <laughs> let's see. Well, you know I'm almost 60 years into the sport and active lifestyle business. I started off, uh, my dad was in the service, so we did a lot of time in Coronado when I was very young and uh, caught the surfing bug uh, when I was, uh, gee, 13 years old. So that was uh, some time ago. And uh, from that moment forward, you know, I've been connected to the ocean or the outdoor uh, one way or the other. Uh, When it came time for uh, college, I was always a terrible student and, uh, 
I managed to get into Colorado because my goal for my education was to learn how to ski. Um, it's embarrassing to think backwards, but that was basically my goal. And uh, my mom and dad were, uh, moved to Japan the very same day that I went off to college. So I, I took the bus up to Boulder and uh, found my accommodations. And once I got there, I discovered that it was kind of a country club and my parents were in Japan and I was in uh, at CU. So I uh, set to work uh, to try and provide for myself there and uh, started in just a ski shop and one thing led to another. And uh, so I spent uh, around 20 years in the in the ski business, um, had a, a moment with myself and changed gears and joined uh, John Schweitzer and Clark Mattis over at the emerging brand called Merrill. We did pretty well with that, got it going and uh, sold it to, to Brown Brothers Harriman and, and uh, GE Capital and from there, I went on to, uh, just through luck, ended up at Nike as a general manager. And uh, after uh, <clears throat> some amazing experiences there, went on to work for Ely Calloway and then become the um, president of Reef and Sanook Sandals and started a little surfboard company. And we started a shoe company called OTZ, which we sold. And uh, so in, in intermixed and all that was two or three attempts to uh, – you know, like retire or dial it back. But uh, one thing led to another, fell in love with a new opportunity. And uh, so I, I did that for quite a long time, obviously. And now uh, uh, five years ago, I thought maybe I could uh, help in some way. And uh, so I decided to join up with San Diego Sport Innovators, led by Bill Walton, the you know, the most famous basketball player I've ever known. And uh, our job here is to uh, basically, uh, we're kind of a, business development organization for uh, companies that are in the sport and active lifestyle network. We deal principally with uh, commercial challenges, but we also do executive leadership and so on. We meet uh, every single month. We have about 100 to 110 companies, active companies, and at all times of all sizes. You know, Sony would be the largest, and we have very small surf companies as the smallest. Uh, our principal output, though, is actually our accelerator which is a 20-week uh, curriculum, mentor-led. Uh, we do, obviously, two per year, and uh, the results have been pretty spectacular. As you know, I think uh, we've graduated now around 85 companies. They've raised about $90 million in capital, 83% uh, success rate over nine years, and uh, most interestingly, 51% of the companies are either founded by a woman or led by female executives. So it's a pretty unusual uh, situation. And um, so we're out there every day helping young companies get started. And then uh, within our uh, kind of our uh, vertical organization, we're creating commerce and uh, trying to attract young companies to San Diego. That's my whole pitch. Wow. that That's incredible. I, I think there's, uh, <laughs> based on your success, I think if uh, any companies are listening, they're going to try to hire you so they can sell their company. Uh, you have a pretty good track record. Uh, so before we get, I know Neil has a question about your time at Nike, but but I want to touch on what you just said there about the 50%, you know, female uh, rate or 55%. That's actually, that's remarkable. Yeah. I mean, your time at Nike and other brands, you, you probably saw a male dominated uh, office place. Any thoughts just in general, we, we bring on, you know, female guests all the time and Tara Moeller, who we just talked to, who was the president of Camelback had some thoughts on this, this mm -hmm. very subject, but any thoughts on diversity in our industry today and, and what more, you know, some brands could be doing? Well, it's interesting. Um, 
I'll be honest with you, the 51% female uh, uh, statistic or metric uh, caught us a little bit off guard and caused us to go back and see what is going on there. And, and actually, one of the components of the uh, active lifestyle in, in LOHAS, you know, lifestyles of health and sustainability, is a smart consumer. And it's, of course, that's been going on for 10 or 12 years. I mean, a classic example is a, of a smart consumer is uh, maybe a, a busy professional woman who's shopping and sees Colgate, you know, toothpaste on one side, Tom's on the other. Well, Tom's is a, is a smart choice. And I think the, the consequence of, of this type of uh, a new consumer awareness has, has been uh, the rise of, of nutrition and healthy living uh, as a component of what used to be a kind of a hard goods industry. And so we are seeing uh, women in technology, women in, on the uh, healthy living side of the, uh, of the spectrum now uh, coming forward with companies, you know, based on their experience. And it's pretty awesome. And, and half of the companies uh, that are uh, female founded uh, are technical companies. So there's, it's, it's really an interesting thing. And, um, we are constantly on the search uh, to try and help uh, uh, women get started with their businesses. Uh, we are active in that. As you know, we're working with Qualcomm on, on this and also uh, communication with the companies like uh, uh, Viasat, for instance, who's trying to get more women into the STEM sector. Uh, so, yeah, we're here. We try to make it as easy as we can, but we're also always searching for uh, women to be on our board of directors. Hey, Bob, this is Neil. I, I, I do want to talk to hey, you Neil. a little bit about your time at Nike and uh, the situation with Tiger Woods, mm-hmm. but I do have a question beforehand. We have had a number of private equity um, investors on, um, also folks from the investment banking side. And there's always one question I like to ask, and that is, what do you think are the attributes uh, that make up a good entrepreneur? What do you look for when someone you know gets involved in your program? Well, the, the thing we look for, uh, first of all, we, <laughs> there's two things. There's the horse and there's the jockey, right? Um, I principally look at, at the jockey to see what kind of level of commitment there is, uh, whether I think the person is uh, tenacious enough to to put up with all the naysayers, you know, that come along the way. Uh, I always laugh, uh, you know, there's, there's a – there's a lot of bozos out there, as you know, that are <laughs> impediments to young people uh, starting companies. And uh, Guy Kawasaki calls them bozos, and he said they speak bozosity, and they're there to make sure that you don't succeed. Uh, so one of the things I look at is, uh, you know, is this person uh, really passionate about what they have? And if they get through that criteria, are they coachable? Because we can't help people that don't want to be helped. Uh, and if they meet those two things and their their product looks interesting, then we bring them into our basically into our pool of potential candidates for our accelerator program. And we bring all these people uh, into the into this initial meeting. They make a, a, a presentation as best they can about their business to our mentors. We have 50 to 60 active mentors. And uh, basically, the mentors vote them in. If we can provide a four-person team uh, to the company, and we like, we like the founder, and we like the, the product or service, then... Uh, we bring them into the group, assign them a four-person team, and they get intense uh, coaching for 20 weeks and then graduate. It's pretty okay, cool. Bob, I'm sure we're going to get back to talking about SDSI and your work with them. 
these uh, <laughs> new entrepreneurs and people that are, you know, coming into our industry with new products and new ideas. But I, um, as uh, Mike said, or John might have said, I am a uh, big golf fan. In fact, uh, I have uh, I have the uh, Northern Trust um, Open or the Northern Trust event on in the background right now in my office. Um, t- tell us a little bit about a time with Nike. And then, um, you know, John also let me know that you were part of the group that uh, signed Tiger Woods originally. That, that There has to be some great stories there. Oh, there's a lifetime of stories there, but... Um... It's, you know, it's a very funny thing. When we were, when I was working at Merrill, like my, we we're in Metro New York, my best friends uh, at the time and still are now I think about it, uh, were working for Golf Digest. So they would have an event and, uh, you know, invariably somebody couldn't show or didn't show up and they'd call me and say, hey, do you want to play Wingfoot tomorrow or something like that? I'd be there, as you can imagine. And so um, in the in the process at Merrill of, uh of expanding our business, we were contacted by Ralph and Jerry Lauren, specifically Jerry Lauren from, from Polo. Um, and Jerry wanted us at Merrill to uh, make him their first uh, Polo Sport boots, which is what we did. Not too many people know that, but we, we were the ones that got him into that business. And we developed a nice relationship with him. We, so when we sold Merrill, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one year ahead of baby boomers. I think golf's going to happen. I'm going to try and get myself in the golf business. So I bought some shoes, testing them and playing with the guys from Golf Digest. And they were Nike shoes and they hurt like hell. So I, my thought was I'll buy these shoes. I'll figure out something. I'll go back to Ralph and Jerry Lauren and see if I could make uh, bespoke golf shoes for polo. Well, when I was limping around in these shoes and kind of muttering about being the air blisters or the air bucket of blood, uh, the Golf Digest guy said, you, you know, you don't have a job right now. You sold your company. Why don't you call Nike? And, uh, you know, we had a big laugh about that. You know, how do you call Nike? Well, it's, it turns out it wasn't that hard. So I called him up and uh, Tom Clark said, uh, he's a, the president CEO. He said, uh, I'll be in New York next week. Let's talk. So I went in to see him and uh, it, it began a chapter in my life. that was completely unscripted and unexpected. Um, basically, um, I told Tom, you know, I have a background in shoemaking, obviously with Merrill, and you know, hiking boots are a lot harder to make than a golf shoe, and and your golf shoes aren't very good. And uh, Tom said, well, I don't know about golf shoes, and I really don't know about the golf business either. He said, but uh, I do know that everybody in the golf industry would like this job, and I, I didn't know there was a job. <laughs> so, so what job was that? He said, well, it's a you know, the general manager for Nike Golf. And I thought, wow, that's awesome, and. So I asked Tom, do you know anything about really about golf or the industry? And he, he said, no. And he said, well, Bob, do you? And I said, well, I know a lot about golf and I, I'm an okay golfer, but I just, it just occurs to me, if you don't know about golf, you should know that it has a, a legacy, unfortunately, of kind of racism, elitism, and sexism. Uh, it's getting better, but that's the legacy. And I said, you know, if you hire somebody for this general manager job from the golf industry, you might be accidentally importing those values into Nike. Seems like to me, it'd be a better idea to do it the other way around. Why don't you try and make golf look like Nike? You know, Tom said, well, shit, that's a pretty good answer. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, I was up there at the campus as the new general manager of Nike Golf completely in over my head. <laughs> and wondering what what to do, you know. So, well, um, Nike is a funny place. It's a super performance oriented uh, um, uh, company and, and brand, obviously. And uh, 
honestly, um, when I got up there, nobody was very interested in golf. Uh, maybe only Phil Knight. So the the business challenge became first thing was to try to make golf part of Nike, and then the second thing was to try to make uh, golf look like Nike, not the same things. So we spent quite a bit of time and effort, and Phil gave us quite a bit of latitude, and he gave me a really excellent marketing guy and sports marketing guy uh, to get after this business. And so, uh, yeah, and so we did, and uh, we decided to get, it was actually Rod Tallman's idea to form a global foursome, be comprised of a hero from each continent. We got Nick Price from South Africa and uh, Michael Campbell from uh, a Maori native. From New Zealand, awesome, awesome man, excellent golfer, and Alex Cheka, who was a, a Czech guy, as you could guess, who swam across the river to West Germany in those days to escape Czechoslovakia. He was playing pro golf around 16, and he had all the language skills that you could ever want. And we had this fourth slot open, and uh, of course, uh, Tiger was uh, at Stanford and doing pretty well, and uh, lo and behold, uh, the uh, there was a really major golf tournament up at Pumpkin Ridge, a U.S. amateur, and Tiger came there, and uh, we had the chance to see his uh, skills on full display for four days, and he, he won. Tiger won that year on the 36th hole on Sunday. And, um, yeah, that was that, that night was the beginning of the beginning, you know, as we we're all celebrating uh, Tiger's win. And uh, to be honest, if I remember correctly, maybe having a gin and tonic or two out of that amazing trophy. <laughs> and uh, it was so. game on, right? Bob, there's something really <clears throat> special about what you just shared. And I, I think there's something about culture. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't have this opportunity. I'd written in my notes before this interview about Bill Walton. And I was going to ask you if you thought he was the greatest player to ever play college basketball and had he not been injured. So you, you covered that piece, but, you know, clearly he played for a coach in college that, you know, built a culture around winning. And you just talked about Nike and how Nike, you know, you, you weren't going to change Nike into becoming a golf company. You were able to breathe life into mm -hmm. golf. And, and there was a really special period of the life you did breathe into golf. How, how is golf going to get that oxygen back? Well, I, th I think it. Uh, look, this is this would be my short answer in this is that uh, our our objective was to make uh, golf look like Nike, and uh, thanks to the the brand strength and amazing people there, I think that's true now today. I mean, you don't hear about racism in golf anymore, uh, sexism. Well, look how well the LPGA is doing, and is it just for rich people? Oh, it's for everybody. Um, you know, when I started, if your shirt wasn't tucked in, if your hat was on backwards, it, you know, there was something wrong with you. You were a morally deficient person, obviously. So now golf is for everybody. And uh, I, I, I think that's that's an amazing achievement. And I've suggested to, to PGA that Phil Knight should be in the Golf Hall of Fame for having made golf so accessible to so many people. But if you fast forward um, and you start with Tiger, um, I would say the great golfers before him in general were kind of defensive winners. They get ahead and hold on by not making mistakes. And when Tiger showed up, his idea was to use every single shot he could to win. He was playing to win on every single shot. And it, uh, 
it elevated the sport to it elevated the experience and and the fledgling sport into a full-on sport that it is now and you know in general uh, all golf uh golfers, professional golfers are athletes now. Hey, Bob. Um, so I want to go back real quick to what you mentioned earlier, because you guys just had some really awesome news for uh, uh, the SDSI program and brand Qualcomm. Can you can you talk a little bit about that for our listeners? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Qualcomm is, uh, oh my gosh, a really a foundation company here in, in San Diego. It's a large employer, of course, but it is, you know, heavy science. So um, they are uh, take their obligations very seriously to the, to their employees, and so they uh, encourage their employees to get on foundations or to get into uh, not for profits. From gee, I'm just thinking how that big Girl Scouts to SDSI, but many many other uh, uh, local not for profits benefit from Qualcomm employees uh, participation. So once a year they have a little uh, contest. I guess you'd have to say. Um, where you can nominate your nonprofit uh, to qualify for funding from the foundation. And uh, this year there were 74 applicants. There were 10 finalists, and we were lucky enough to be one of the finalists. And uh, we went and made our presentation uh, to the uh, Qualcomm employees. And then they voted uh, via their technology phone, basically, uh, for the, uh, the winner that day. And so it was a fantastic experience. And uh, uh, I tell you, after sitting through all 10 presentations on my way home, I was thinking I I came here hoping we would get a grant. And now I'm wondering if I shouldn't be contributing to the nine companies that that, uh, presented besides us because they're very compelling uh, presentations you can imagine. But um, at the end of the day, uh, we also got a grant and uh, it was fantastic. And so now we're going to collaborate in our mentoring community with uh, Qualcomm employees that are interested in our space, uh, hopefully uh, in the technology aspect of our space. And it'd be really great if we can attract more women entrepreneurs in this space, but we'll use their uh, their backing this year to reach out and try to find uh, in particular more women in technology and sports and see if we can uh, continue to, you know, matriculate these companies. Hey, Bob, it's Neil again. You know, hey, I'm curious, um, you know, obviously it's great that you're really supporting women and entrepreneurs in general. Um, are you seeing, though, people gravitating into any specific category? Um, you know, is it all technology-based or are you finding that there are some peripheral categories um, around it that are also drawing in some of these young entrepreneurs? Well, you know, it's inter- that's a really good question. I mean, uh, the breakout, I would say, is, is like a – approximately one-third product, one-third uh, uh, services, and one maybe SAS-type stuff uh, or straight-up technology. So it uh, you don't know. And uh, one of the awesome aspects of this job that I hold is that basically we see all the applicants come in. And uh, it's fantastic to see, you know, I'm just thinking – one little company has this anti-counterfeit uh, near-field chip technology that would uh, help, for instance, if you were to use it in uh, cancer drugs in the third world, it would help a, a physician or a physician's assistant in a, in a faraway place know that these drugs are real. You know, so there's one awesome 
uh, uh, you know, technology. And then we have people that are starting companies, for instance, to uh, 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 kind of a travel pack for for uh, bike racers. So, so we, we see the full spectrum. Uh, and for me, it's, you know, it's fantastic. It renews my, uh, my uh, enthusiasm on a daily basis and to, to see how we can help these people bring their product or service to, to fruition. Bob, it's often uh, talked about in the entrepreneurial space that, you know, there's got to be a problem. You got to solve that problem. And then, you know, what's the, the unique approach? Does that simplify it too much or is there other ways you all look at it that uh, might be um, uh, beneficial to an entrepreneur and understanding how they, they bring an idea to market or bring a concept to making it into a finished good. Well, I think you have to be really careful. Uh, First of all, people are bringing their dream to you and uh, it is not our job to uh, uh, provide advice about their dream. If that's your dream, that's your dream, right? So if it if it fits into uh, our knowledge base and the entrepreneurs, we 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 try to uh, uh, help them convert founder talk into uh, the financial language and marketing language of a contemporary business world. So very often you have people who come from all across the spectrum who are entrepreneurs who have an idea, but never heard of EBITDA or never you know don't have a, any kind of a, a significant pitch but they may be looking for cash. So what we do is we um, basically, our curriculum is pretty fixed. Doesn't really make any difference what your your product or service is. You have to be able to talk about it in an effective way. So we basically take all that founder talk, uh, put it in the funnel and put it through the machine and, and try to produce uh, a, a pitch, a business plan and a pitch that uh, will appeal to the, you know, to the investment community. So uh, it really doesn't make too much difference what the product or service is. It, uh, it's going to go through the same program. The, the difference is that each company goes, goes th- that's going through gets uh, four uh, expert mentors to help them. And by expert, I mean, they, wow. if we don't know about their category, we won't accept them into the program because we don't have expertise greater than the founder. So I think that's that's one of the reasons that the program is very effective. I mean, to have 83% of the companies, 82, 83% uh, still in business after nine years, that's an achievement. That's a, that's incredible, Bob. I, I think, you know, I speak uh, for, for my co-host when we say this is uh, awesome and uh, out of respect for, for your time. We'll, we'll get you out of here on, on one more thing, but would love to bring you back on. To, we, what we should do is just have an episode of, of, of Walton's stories because I'm sure you have a million. I would love that, um, but we'll get you out of here um, on this because Rennie will kill me otherwise. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about you know the upcoming cohort, how to get involved, and and maybe um, if there's a startup that's listening, can they still apply? Oh yeah, there's. Uh, we're just in the process now of opening up the next class, in class ten, if I remember correctly. Um, and all I have to do is go to the website. It's at San Diego Sport and uh, all the information is there. Um, and, uh, obviously we're, we're quick to respond. The, uh, the process is a little bit involved on, on purpose. It's the first filter. And so there's a lot of, uh, uh, kind of heavy thinking that, that is required to, uh, uh, to fill out the application, but it's very, very easy, very accessible and go to it. And, uh, and you're right. You know, I don't, I think we should end on Bill Walton and I'll tell you 
in my experience across the spectrum of humans that I have met in my whatever 74 years on this earth, I have never met anybody like Bill Walton. This, he, he is the Renaissance man extraordinaire. <laughs> I mean, uh, Go ahead, Bob. I was just going to say, let's get Bill on for one of your segments. We should. That would be amazing. Only if he's wearing a tie-dye T-shirt. You know, that's that's a requirement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want, if you want to fill up a half-hour talk, ask him what his reading list is for this month. This this man is one of the most intellectually active people I've ever met in my life, and uh, uh, beyond fascinating. So um, that's uh, we'll reserve that for another day. But uh, you know, Bill is very active here in San Diego. He supports around fifty charities in our town alone. Wow. Um, S- SDSI is the only one where Bill is, uh, uh, you know, the director, the the man, and uh, so we he meets with our group around nine times a year. It's a privilege every single time to meet with him. And as you can imagine, uh, uh, the outcome is always unexpected. Well, well I'm, 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 I'm smiling ear to ear and we'll bring microphones to San Diego and hold you to it because that would just be amazing. It's a deal. I'm sure he'd be pleased to do it, honestly. Yeah, no, that's great. Bob, uh, looking forward to bringing you and, and maybe Mr. Walton back on. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. My pleasure. Thank our guest, Bob Reef, our sound engineer, Tyrone Littman. This podcast would not be possible if not for our partnership with the Washington, D.C. office of cable TV, film, music, and entertainment. Our mayor, Muriel Bowser, our friends at 202 Creates. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and be sure to rate us. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it.